0: Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Ian Harditz, and today we are moving on and covering values, fades, all sorts of things. Hopefully you checked out the first four episodes, QBs, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. I thought we got a great baseline with some really smart people, but now we're going to go in and really highlight the guys that myself and our guests think you should be drafting this August, this July, whenever you might be drafting this year and so without further ado extremely excited to have on um, one of my own co-workers just got started with pff very recently like myself dude's been grinding put on consistently great work through and through very sharp guy mr andrew erickson andrew what's going on man
1: ian what's up man the master of the gifts themselves it's finally great to talk to you in kind of like real life
0: yeah, man. First time we got on one of these. I'm sure Andrew will be on a bunch throughout the season. And yeah, so again, to reiterate today, we'll be highlighting some of PFF's most recommended fades and values at each position based on our rankings versus ADP. You can find both Andrew and my own rankings on PFF.com. If you want to get it to by Monday, PFF code Fancy 40 everyone. So we'll go position by position with our top value, top fade, and then some quick honorable mentions. Andrew, who is your QB value?
1: all right so we're gonna start with a banger ty god taylor tyrod oh. taylor over at, with the los angeles chargers basically everyone has kind of forgotten about Tyrod taylor and i think when i look at the pff rankings I'm, i think i'm the only one that has him ranked at all so i'm definitely flying solo here with Tyrod taylor but the way i look at it is he's got you know a lot of great weapons there in los angeles with hunter henry mike williams keenan allen much more better upgrades than what he had with the buffalo bills and you know the head coach Anthony Lynn. That was Tyrod Taylor's offensive coordinator in Buffalo. People it just—it seems like no one's kind of really you know, remembering that. And you know during those two seasons with Anthony Lynn, you kind of him the shots. You know Taylor was a really fantasy effective quarterback. You know he ranked third in fantasy points per dropback in 2015 and sixth in 2016. I mean, and those averages would have been you know right into the realm of guys like Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, Russell Wilson for sixth highest in 2019. So. I look at Tyrod Taylor, I'm like, guys, like, what are we missing here? He runs, he throws the ball deep. Like, I get, like, they drafted Justin Herbert, but, I mean, how long is it going to take Herbert to take the starting role? So, looking at his opening schedule, Bengals, Chiefs, Panthers, all plus matchups for Tyrod Taylor. I mean, I'm taking Tyrod Taylor my last pick, and I'm just like, I'll roll with it.
0: So keeping on with that schedule, I mean, the first time I looked at it, like you, first three weeks are fine, absolutely there. You know, if you want to get Daniel Jones, or one of these guys, just with a brutal opening month stretch, you can definitely fall back on the artist formerly known as Ty God. After those first three games, we get at Buccaneers, at Saints. Like, originally, I was looking at that thinking, okay, that could be where we see Herbert come in. But then it's a short week before they go face the Jets. And if he can just survive those first five games, he gets Jets, Dolphins, Jaguars, and Raiders before the bye. Off season long, it's like Anthony Lennon's gone out of his way to talk about Tyrod being more in the bridge quarterback, even before they drafted Herbert. As you said, they do have a history together in Buffalo. Man, I mean, quarterbacks aren't drafted in the top 10 to sit on the bench, but I mean, it does seem like Tyrod Taylor, over under, probably like eight starts this year? Yeah,
1: man. I I like it. I like Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert. It's like, dude, how long is it going to take? I mean, I don't know, especially with this offseason that we got going on. He hasn't thrown yeah. any of these guys. And Tyra Taylor was on the team all last year. So he knows everybody on the team.
0: Yeah, it's a good point about this offseason, too. In general, you know, put notch those rookies down a few spots and just across the board and particularly here. So I like that. Tyrod's cheap. You're gonna see him going QB thirty and most of these things. Definitely could do much worse late round pick. I am also looking at a QB with a sub QB twenty ADP, and that's Mr. Cameron Newton. I've been quite vocal on the old Twitter sphere about my undying loyalty to Cam, but I think it's warranted and it's not Costing you anything to get this guy right now. And let's look at the situation Edelman, uh, Nikhil Harry, Sanu. Is that a great wide receiver group? Absolutely not. But is that maybe like the second best one Cam's had in his career? I think so. I mean, the fact that he did as much as he did in Carolina, you know, with all these quote unquote weapons over the years that just couldn't do much, he's now finally in a situation with two coaches who have made their career, you know, just taking advantage of their own talent and exploiting their opponent's weaknesses. So I thought, uh, you know, our own Seth Galena wrote up a really Great piece. When this initially went down, he pointed at that 2016 game when Brady was suspended, Jimmy G was hurt, young Jacoby Brissett under center, in a short week. What we see, we saw them play to his strengths, a bunch of triple option looks, Edelman going in the backfield, bunches of goodness. They're going to set up France. They're kind of set up Cam for success. All we've seen from the guy is QB1 production. Whenever he's been healthy enough to be on the field, it's unfortunate he hasn't been on the field recently. But come on, spare me the tw- fourth-round pick, Jarrett Stidham, or 34-year-old Brian Hoyer is going to make this a quarterback competition. Cam pass is physical. And unless you just want to assume the guy isn't going to get on the field, I don't know how we can't put this guy near the QB1 borderline. His ADP is QB23. I have him as my QB13 right now. Andrew, where are you have with Cam?
1: Dude, when he's healthy, he just smashes. I looked at his, you know, we both had Cam Newton in our articles that we wrote up on the website, and basically I was looking at Newton and his finishes in, game, in seasons he's played 16 games. It's third, fourth, third, first, and second. So it's like, dude, if he just plays, he's going to smash. So I just draft him.
0: Yeah, and it's like, is he really that much more injury-prone than these just pocket statues like Matt Ryan, Jared Goff, Ben Roethlisberger? I mean, we people say, like, Lamar Jackson's going to get injured because he runs so much. I mean, I've seen some good work from these medical people, and it makes sense, like— These quarterbacks, when they're running, usually aren't getting teed off on like we see them in the pocket. I mean, there's just not that much more injury risk with some of these higher rushing quarterbacks like you think. So, yeah, man, Cam Newton, everyone. Again, these are outside the top 20 QBs. This is not the year you need to reach on the position. So with that said, Andrew, who are you fading?
1: I'm fading Drew Brees, man. So we we talked about, you know, Tyrod Taylor and Cam Newton and how they offer upside as rushers. I mean, Drew Brees doesn't do that. And Drew Brees doesn't throw the ball down the field. So it's like, those are the two things that we're looking at when we were trying to evaluate the quarterback position. We want guys that are pushing the ball downfield if they don't run, or we want guys that can run if they don't push the ball downfield. Drew Brees doesn't do either of those. So I don't understand why he's being ranked as like a top, you know, top 10 quarterback when I don't see the upside with him. You know, again, he has great weapons, but Michael Thomas doesn't push the ball downfield. Alvin Kamara's got touchdown regression coming. He's going to, you know, he's going to, you know, the thing. Breeze is not going to hit his seven one point percent touchdown percentage from last season, which was the highest of his career when his average has been five point four percent. So to me, it just seems like I don't get why you would just not just draft Matt Ryan. He's Matt Ryan's just a better version of Drew Breeze with better weapons and throws the ball downfield and he's younger. So again, Breeze, his last year, you know, we see this cliff with quarterbacks and I feel like this could happen and you know, who knows, they want to get Taysom Hill more involved. I'm not about that with Drew
0: Breeze. I believe Breeze has been the QB seven in fantasy points per game, back to back seasons. This was after like a literally a decade, though, of this guy being top five year in and year out. And it's still costing you, I mean, it's not quite a top five pick these days, but he's being drafted about where we should expect him to finish. Like, we're not getting any sort of, you know, being drafted at his floor, and he's got this ceiling. Cause as you mentioned, man, the ceiling just quite isn't quite there the same way in recent years without that rushing. And it's a shame because I think this might be like his best group of weapons he's had in his entire career but you just I, the, the whole Taysom Hill thing he's usually been a vulture for like other positions he doesn't usually pull Breeze off the field near the goal line that much but they must have told him something to get him back here I mean for them to put him on a first round tender I just think we're gonna see more than him than ever potentially this year
1: yeah and especially if they're the ones that want him to use his arm you know, to go downfield, you know, hit Jared Cook, you know, down the seam, you know, you're gonna look up at a highlight and be like, Oh my god, Jared Cook touchdown and then you look like,
0: Oh no, it was Taysom Hill that threw it, not Drew Brees. God, unbelievable. Only more annoying thing is watching Eagles games and trying to figure out if Dallas Goddard or Zach Ertz caught the ball. No doubt. All right, my QB fade, Mr. Baker Mayfield. I have him as my QB 24. His ADP comes in as a QB 15. A lot of similar things to what you just said. Like one, there's just no rushing floor here. I mean, he's averaged 9.1 rushing yards per game in his career. For reference, I mean, Matt Ryan's at 8.8. I don't think anyone's out here calling Matt Ryan a dual threat talent. And look, Baker was just awful last season. There's no really other way Around it, and I think some people are trying to just chalk it up off. Oh, Freddie Kitchens is a joke of a coach, and all that. But come on. Freddie Kitchens was the big reason why Baker had that amazing second half of 2018 in the first place. Pressure was an issue, but man, over here at PFF, you know, we track everything. Under pressure, kept clean, deep ball, this and that, and Baker was 33rd among 35 qualified signal callers in QB rating when he was kept clean. I mean, even when things were good last year, you know, maybe he was just too spooked from having to run around the rest of the time, but either way, it wasn't pretty. And going into this year, okay, these great weapons are back. Most likely I'm a little worried about this Jarvis Landry hip injury, but we'll find out more about that soon but what about Kevin Stefanski coming in is leading us to believe there's gonna be a breakout here because we just saw him enable Kirk Cousins to career best marks in almost every efficiency category and he finishes a QB 19 and fantasy points per game I think we're looking at a run first offense and Baker's only chance to kind of explode is gonna have to be through hyper efficiency and I just don't know what we saw from last season to make us think that's on the horizon
1: yeah I think you hit the nail on the head it's really about looking at Kirk Cousins. He was really efficient with Kevin Stefanski. And I think that people might look at Kirk Cousins versus Baker Mayfield and think, okay, I think Baker Mayfield's probably the better quarterback, you know, entering his third season. And I think that people are still holding on to his rookie season when he, you know, really flashed and, you know, there are kind of a lot of, you know, scapegoats in terms of, well, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. was hurt last year, you know, and Joku was hurt last year. And I I, I do think that getting a tight end, you know, little foreshadowing um like getting a tight end back that's useful because mayfield was really good his rookie year because he did have a tight end that he could rely on last year there was really no one in that position so where i do think that i think he'll be better than he was last year i don't think for the price that you're paying for him is like hey i think that people are still like he's not like at a discount yet yep. you know people are still remembering his rookie year and they're like oh he's still baker mayfield still number one overall pick so again like i may not be on as down on him as you are but again is his adp still not like great for his uh you know what he's kind of looking like
0: if you're a non-russian quarterback and you're in an offense that isn't going to be throwing the ball with a top you know 510 level volume it's going to be pretty tough to be a great fantasy quarterback so all right now some quick honorable mentions i'll go through my two and then we'll i'll flip it over to andrew but so another qb i just really like compared to cost is joe burrow he's my qb 12 adp qb 19 we've had six Rookie QBs be QB1 since 2010. That's Russ Wilson, Dak Prescott, Kylo Murray, Cam Newton, RG3, and Andrew Luck. The similarities all were week one starters, all averaged at least 25 rushing yards per game in college. Burrow gets both those. He averaged 27 rushing yards per game at LSU. I know he looks to pass first, but he's got a small rushing floor going underrated. And then another guy I'm fading, Mr. Aaron Rodgers, my QB 16, ADP, QB 12. Guy just had the worst fantasy season of his career. Career low, 11.4 rushing yards per game. He still makes just some throws that, you know, uh, what's the – Twitter craze, only two people on the planet can make this throw. You know, Rodgers has plenty of those. That's fine. He can still take over games. But at this point in his career, you know, he's just a much better real life than fancy asset, I think. So, all right, Andrew, who are your honorable mentions?
1: Yeah, so my honorable mention for a value is Jimmy Garoppolo. Again, we talked about he doesn't really have the rushing upside. But, again, I like that he's really easy to – stack with certain players like you can get him with a lot of his weapons you know stacking with like a george kittle he's going really late and he has a really good schedule in the opening of the season so i like jimmy garoppolo from that and he also plays with kyle shanahan so it's like it's always a good combination and you know we've seen these leaps with quarterbacks in year two with kyle shanahan you know a la matt ryan so we could see in garoppolo's second full season with Kyle Shanahan, we could see maybe him taking another leap, especially if that 49ers defense regresses after last year, and they might have to play more aggressively, pushing the ball downfield. And then my fade is, is Daniel Jones, and you kind of referenced it a little bit, I think, earlier, just his schedule, man. Like, you look at his like like is his opening schedule, and then, like, game after game after game, you're just like, I don't want to start this guy, like, ever. And, and the way that he plays is so volatile with turnovers and things like that. It's just like, he might have a spike week here and there, but, like, It's going to be really hard to project.
0: I I was much higher on Daniel Jones before the Clapper got signed on to be his new play (laughs) caller. And I do like the Jimmy G call because last year coming off that ACL, you know, we've seen players in that second season definitely be closer to full health. And, you know, only Lamar Jackson had more games with four-plus passing touchdowns last year. So we already saw, you know, a mini ceiling. I know we all remember the, like, seven-pass attempt NFC Championship, but wasn't all that doom and gloom for Jimmy G last year. All right, moving on to running backs. Andrew, who is your RB value right now?
1: Yeah, we've got uh, Ronald Jones for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It seems like uh, on most hated list for most people, but I like Ronald Jones, and I think that it's really the the stink of his rookie season that just can't come off a lot of people because all he did last year was just basically improve in every aspect. You know, he accumulated over a thousand yards from scrimmage, he scored six touchdowns, and this is when he was still splitting carries with Peyton Barber. Peyton Barber's gone so i really think that jones has kind of the green light to at least the early down back roll and the thing with jones is most people are looking at oh well he's not going to be on you know he's not going to catch passes he can't pass block yada 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 Keyshawn vaughn is like the greatest thing ever dario bumbawale is going to be involved but the way i look at it is like i don't necessarily care if ronald jones is involved in the passing game i'm getting this guy in the seventh round he's playing on an offense that we're all projecting to score a lot of fantasy points like He could be a la, like a Laguerre blunt guy, just kind of grumbling into the end zone. So, I mean, he was good near the goal line last year. He was forcing the most missed tackles for, you know, players inside the 10 yard line last year. So he was better than Peyton Barber at it. And I mean, I just think that his metrics, you know, as a receiver, he was, you know, eighth in missed tackles, forced per attempt, you know, 16th in elusive rating, like a lot of really great metrics for Ronald Jones last year. And I just think that. People were just looking for an excuse to fade him and that was Keyshawn vaughn so i think that ultimately even if ronald jones isn't like the main pass catching back i don't even know if brady's gonna target the backs that much because i mean why would you like he threw it to james white because like his other options weren't that great but like Yeah. yeah like but now he has chris godwin and mike evans and like those types of players so he's gonna throw it to those guys like i don't really care that ronald jones may or may not catch passes because i think that he could flirt with double digit rushing touchdowns so in the seventh round Sign me up all day.
0: That's It's really just about the cost at this point. I mean, I don't think anyone would be down to buy Rojo as a top 20 back, but we don't have to. He's going right now. You know, best ball ADP is RB30, even lower. And when if you go through some best ball drafts, people, I mean, after the fourth, fifth round, running back is a disaster. And that's when, you know, people are loading up on their wide receivers. But if you want to go early and get some of these baller wide receivers in the first few rounds, I mean, I think the Tampa Bay and Miami be, uh, backfield to a lesser extent are kind of the last shots you have have of landing a true starter so you know tom brady called him ron earlier in the offseason i mean that is relevant that's a big deal i am worried that we're still going to see a three rb backfield you know with him Dari, and Keyshawn. but you bring up a good point i mean even if it is a three rb backfield rojo we should probably be considering rojo the favorite
1: exactly and i just think that he's going to have the better the best chance of getting those goal line touches i don't you know i don't see why you would just go in immediately and give it to a rookie and we've seen before bruce arians i mean yeah. Look, I mean, maybe Bruce Arians isn't the greatest evaluator of, evaluator of talent for running backs because clearly he thought Payne Barber was still good and he was giving him carries. He didn't play David Johnson. So, you know, maybe if Rojo sucks, you know, maybe that's better for him. So there you go.
0: Interesting conspiracy there. <laughs> I like it. All right. My running back value is none other than Chase Edmonds. I have him as my RB41 ADP, a full 10 spots lower at RB51. I think we have five, four to five true three down handcuffs in the league. And that is if the... RB1 goes down, I think the RB2 steps in, and assumes you know a workhorse three down role. I think they're Chase Edmonds, Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison, Latavius Murray, and maybe Darrington Evans, the Titans' backup. They treated Dion freaking Lewis as a three down guy, so I'm assuming Darrington Evans could potentially get that as well. And just focusing on Edmonds, okay, he was good last year, 5.1 yards per carry, 150 total yards and three scores, and his only full start against the Giants. Like, we saw good things. Whatever The bigger sell is this offense. I mean, only the Ravens were more efficient on the ground. It's amazing what happens when you have, you know, dual-threat QB, the caliber of Lamar or Kyler. And with this offense, we have one of the league's better running games. They only use one back, and that's the one consistency we saw all season. I mean, David Johnson, before he got hurt, was clearing 75% snap rates with ease. Edmonds, and his lone spot start that he didn't get injured in, 94% snaps. Kenyon Drake was regularly hitting that 75% mark. So, you know, Kingsbury, earlier saw, Season said they're very happy to have three backs if he's if that's not coach speak great you got chase edmonds who has a chance to you know climb up the pecking order and if it is coach speak and they're handing the ball to drake all the time great because now that's what Edmonds' role is going to be if drake who again we've never seen handle this massive workload isn't able to do so so i just think it's a point where maybe as an industry we're undervaluing these true three down handcuffs as a whole and if you don't believe that it, this is a handcuff situation like even better now he might have some standalone value
1: yeah, I think that Chase Edmonds makes a lot of sense there, especially again, foreshadowing, you know, one of my RB phase. I really like Chase Edmonds a lot. And again, he is going to cost you practically nothing to get later in your draft. So he's a smash play as a running back handcuff again with a guy like Drake, who has been I mean, just a model of inconsistency throughout his career. He's been up and down, you know, it seems like wherever he goes and, you know, as a friendly reminder everybody, you know, he played, you know, with Miami without Adam Gase last year for a little bit. So, he wasn't smashing over there. So, maybe it's not all Adam Gase with Kenyon Drake. Maybe it's not.
0: All right, man, let's just get to your RB fade then. And why is it Mr. Kenyon Drake? All right. So,
1: Kenyon Drake again. So, he's going as the RB8, but I have him ranked as the RB12. So, I'm still saying he's an RB1. I'm not saying, yeah, you, know, you just don't ever draft this guy. But again, you got to be decisive when you're at the top, you know, looking at these running backs in the first couple rounds and Kane Drake, someone that's not really, someone that I'm selecting the draft button on. So basically looking at, so since 2010, 45 teams have had a quarterback with at least 65 rushing attempts, and none of those teams have ever supported the top 10 fantasy wide receiver and a fantasy running back. So again, this is looking at guys like Hopkins and Drake, who are both going respectively at the top 10 at their positions, and Kyler Murray is gonna hit that 65 rushing attempts threshold. I mean, he had 93 rushing attempts last year. So if I expect him to rush more, but even if some reason he rushes less, it's still going to probably eclipse that 65 mark. So again, this is just going to look at like when you have a rushing quarterback, you know, that takes away fantasy points from the running backs and, and the wide receivers. Like it's just less plays that those guys can make and contribute and create fantasy points. So that's one of the reasons like i'm looking at drake as a guy that's he's a potential bust factor in the first round um his touchdown rate he scored eight touchdowns last season with the cardinals which was the most of any arizona cardinal throughout the whole season and he played just half the season with the team so again seeming a little unsustainable in terms of his touchdown rate especially now that you factor in okay we just added in deandre hopkins red zone monster kyler murray can call his name at the goal line like all these other options i don't know if drake's going to be the guy scoring every single touchdown And then the other thing that I've noticed looking at mobile quarterbacks and their impact on running backs in the passing game, there's negative correlation. You know, I've done a whole article over on it at PFF.com and basically running backs or quarterbacks don't necessarily target the running backs in the passing game that often. And it kind of limits their upside a little bit. And Murray last season attempted the fourth lowest checkdowns to running backs. So I just don't know if the floor that he had last year as a receiver is going to be there, especially with the addition of Kenyon Drake. So for that reasons, like I think Kenyon Drake's probably going to have to just be a really efficient runner, which is, which is what he's done throughout his career. So I'm pretty confident that he's going to continue to be a great running back from a rushing standpoint, but as a receiver, as a guy that's going to get all the touchdowns, I'm still not so sure. So that's kind of why he's falling a little bit for me at the top tier of running backs
0: yeah it's fair and th- th- it is a muddle group after those top five backs and you know I was bringing up those snap rates but in you know in defense of your take when Drake was getting those high snap rates, D- David Johnson was a shell of himself I mean we all saw the run against Tampa Bay where it looked like he had a piano on his back. Edmonds was battling like a hamstring injury he was still active but when you're not getting any touches it's you know tough to think he was close to 100 percent and yeah the receiving usage man it's it's definitely it's a good point because even though David Johnson was getting a lot of targets to start the season, I mean, he was lining up in the slaughter out wide, you know, over 20% of his snaps. I mean, once Drake got there, it was more like two or three snaps per game in the slaughter out wide at the most. I mean, he got the 8.5 million transition tag. That's not really the same thing as like an Austin Eckler, like four year extension. So I wouldn't call that the biggest front office backing, I guess. So I have Drake as my RB6. so I'm much higher on him than you. The reason I have him right there is because, yes, those are concerns, but to me, when you look after for the big five, you have Kenyon Drake, Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, Aaron Jones. All those guys are great backs. I think all of them could be three-down backs if you just want to give them the chance to. To me, Drake might have the best chance to be that three-down back. We'll see if he is, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he has that potential to be there. Will he Will he or will he not be used in that manner, I guess is the main question.
1: Yeah, that's and that's always kind of been the thing with Drake. It's been He's always been flashed on low volume totals and he finally got the volume last year and it really paid off it's just a matter of okay well now what? He's entering like his fifth season it's like we i just like we still don't really know what Kenyon drake is i don't know i guess like i still ask that question it's like am i Do i want to invest a running you know my rb1 my first round pick in a guy that i still like not sold on like Kenyon drake's nfl career at this point like how do i summarize i'm just like yeah he's like he's okay he's like pretty good sometimes but like i'm not so sure so that's, that's why I'm uh, on the
0: fade of, of Drake. Yeah, it's probably why the new hit term in the fantasy circles is modified zero RB, <laughs> where it's not, you know, we're call, we're modifying, it's not zero RB if you're taking an RB, but we're calling it that, and that the idea of that is, you know, you get one of those top five, preferably top three bell cow backs, and then you take the dope wide receivers instead of, you know, the Drake Jones question mark tier, so definitely something to think about. The one running back that I am, you know, also going to advise no one to touch with a 10-foot pull, Leonard Fournette. I have him as my RB20, his ADP is RB15. I am slightly ahead of Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell because I think the touch ceiling is higher, but I want James Conner, Melvin Gordon, David Johnson, Chris Carson, even Dave Montgomery before Fournette because, okay, he got a ton of targets last year. Like, that's what saved his fantasy value. RB7 on 341 touches, only scored three touchdowns. It's because he got more checkdowns in the league than anybody. But guess what? New offense. Mr. Jay Gruden is now calling the plays, and Jay Gruden's longtime BFF Chris Thompson is now the RB2 there. It is It was absurd how much he used Chris Thompson's start last season. Weeks one through five before Gruden got fired, only Austin Eckler and Christian McCaffrey had more targets than Chris freaking Thompson. So it's one of these situations where Fournette was a terrible receiver. He has a new play caller with a new running back, a pass catching back that he trusts. And like, what is the upside here? Because, PFF offensive line rankings. This Jaguars have a 26 ranked offensive line. It's an organization that seems to actively be trying to lose. I'm okay with Gardner Minshew as a late round guy cuz he brings some rushing upside and there's no cost and you know maybe they'll be just down playing from behind a lot, but to me this seems like great we caught on to the volume in 2019, but I know it's a contract year, but like what's that matter when it's a guy that just cannot pick up yardage efficiently in a new offense where we should probably be projecting his targets to be cut in half. I'm just, you know, I'm lower on Fournette and he's just almost always gone by the time I'm picking. Are you touching this guy this year? I
1: mean, if the Jaguars did any digging into like their offensive schemes last year and like how efficiency works and they would see like Leonard Fournette touch the ball, they would be like, dude, we cannot give this guy more touches. Like we need to like totally like do the opposite and like get somebody else the ball. Cause like his efficiency as a receiver was like atrocious. And even like rock Armstead, like, he was better as a receiver, just like from an efficiency standpoint, you obviously mentioned Chris Thompson. It's like a guy who profiles as a, you know, pass catching back. That's what he's always been. And again, you know, to mention as well, you know, Minshew is a mobile quarterback. So I seriously doubt that he's going to check the ball down as often as, you know, like a Nick Foles. And I get that Minshew played the majority of last season, but when Foles was in there, Fournette had some of his best games as a receiver. So it did kind of actually help boost him up. And so I think a full season of Minshew, you're really gonna feel more of that impact, um, especially with Minshew kind of being like, hey, I'm should sure, like ball out? Like whatever, he's gonna rush more and just like show off that swag. So. I'm, I'm off Leonard Fournette as well like I, I don't understand like he's just yeah. he's just not good man like it's not good
0: I just think <laughs> his style of play it just lends itself to being benched so easily I mean these guys with the real low success rates and they pop off a big run if the big run doesn't come for a little bit then you're in trouble and I mean most Leonard Fournette moment ever was you know Thursday night football Jacks Titans 15 carries, 66 yards, long of 69 yards. So we'll see. Maybe he gets the volume again, but it just seems like a situation where, you know, I I get it, bet on volume, not talent, but I'm not convinced the talent's there to get enough volume again in 2020. So on the honorable mentions, I love, love, love James Conner this year. He's my RB14 ADP, RB21. I mean, look, we just talked about all these running backs that we have questions about from RB6 to RB like 12, 13. When you get in the next tier of guys, it's even bigger questions and Connor sticks out as the only true three down workhorse of the group I get the injury concern label everyone but you know what if the worst thing you can say about a guy is he's injury prone and that is like why he's as cheap as he is in fantasy go get that ceiling and the guy I'm lower on is Marlon Mack I was shocked to see his ADP as the RB38 I have him as my RB53 like he's going ahead of all those awesome handcuffs that I mentioned before your Pollard Madison Murray Edmonds and look Max, best-case scenario is he keeps this as a three-back committee with him, Hines, and Taylor the whole year. I mean, even an injury to one of those guys isn't going to give him this, like, three-down roll. They've tried to do that periodically the last two years. He gets hurt, and now they've, you know, they brought in Jonathan Williams to give the guy major reps last year. I mean, honestly, I do see—I like Marlon Mack. His jump cuts look great sometimes, but they didn't draft Taylor to not try to make him the workhorse eventually. We just need to get off of Mack moving forward, no matter how good he might have looked over the last two years in spots. Andrew running back honorable mentions
1: yeah so just like to, to, to re- rewind it back so james connor i agree i think that he's a great value it's just it's just health with him and he's it, it, it sucks because he's he really is in that injury prone category It just matter if he can stay healthy or not so we're just you know praying every day that you know connor can come out you know all good to go and i would say for your other running back which was again who, who did you have oh we had mr marlon mack Oh yeah, Mr. Marlon Mack. I mean, dude, they drafted your replacement, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, that's like, that's exactly the scenario. Like, if he was getting the job done behind the Colts O line, like, they wouldn't have drafted Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. Like, he just he was good, but he wasn't good enough. So they they drafted someone that's better than you. So I'm out on Marlon Mack. But in terms of values and fades, so by fade is Devin Singletary, which means by value is Zach Moss. I just can't see a scenario where Devin Singletary is kind of paying off his ADP where he doesn't have, you know, the goal line usage. Like, and it's not even like he's like second in command. He's like third. So he's behind Josh Allen and Zach Moss because they want to use Zach Moss in that Frank Gore role. So I don't envision Diffin Singletary, you know, having t- high touchdown upside. And you factor in, okay, well, he maybe he can really work in more as a pass catcher. It's like, okay, again, the mobile quarterbacks, Josh Allen doesn't check the ball down that often. You know it, like he's chucking the ball downfield, man. He's going to Stephon Diggs. So again, not going to be involved in the passing game as often. So, okay, so I get a running back in the fifth round that like runs between the 20s, like sick. Like that's just like not what I want from a running back. So I'll like take Zach Moss because it's like, if Singletary goes down or something like that, at least I know Zach Moss will get the goal line touches. I just think he has like arguably more upside than Singletary does and at their ADPs, just seems like it's easy for me. I just like I don't see myself drafting single theory anywhere right now.
0: Yeah, and I mean, as you said, Josh Allen, never checking the ball down. And that was a big part of Singletary's value because he wasn't getting any of the red zone touches. And now Zach Moss, they want him to take that Frank Gore role. Look, I mean, I, I'm not going to pretend to be, you know, just the world's greatest scholar with these rookie running backs coming in. But Zach Moss has been popping a little bit in some of these receiving uh, metrics. Like if he's taking Frank Gore's role, that's already not helping Singletary. But he could even have like receiving upside on the – from the small enough receiving plate he can start to eat into that so just the the least fancy friendly situation you can pretty much imagine is that buffalo backfield right now slightly better positional group and i'm talking about the Bengals wide receivers now andrew tell me who your wide receiver value is from this group
1: yeah so we got tyler boyd coming in so he's adp wide receiver 31 and i have him ranked as wide receiver 19 i really like boyd a lot in redraft i know a lot of people are doing like best ball drafts and things like that so boyd's value isn't as high in ball because again i don't know if he has those spike weeks but from someone that you draft in a redraft league where you're putting in your lineup i feel great about playing tyler boyd every single week i think that you know what he's shown us as a slot receiver i mean he's emerged as one of the better slot receivers in the league over the past two seasons he leads the nfl in receiving yards from the slot since 2018 and now you got joe burrow coming in you know who just peppered peppered the slot with targets justin jefferson on the minnesota vikings So again, it just seems kind of like Burrow could develop quick chemistry with Tyler Boyd. And the thing that I want to talk about, you know, about A.J. Green, because A.J. Green's finally signed his franchise tag on the last day. (laughs) He's thrilled to be a Bengal, of course. (laughs) So the thing with him and and everyone refers to his 2018 stats when he was like the wide receiver four. you know, we've never seen Green not be a, a top end wide receiver. And that's true. But I looked more at, you know, what he did that season. And basically I was looking at his usage He was insanely efficient from the slot his yards per route run was 4.30 which is like an absurd number ranked number one among all receivers that saw at least 25 slot targets in 2018 before he got hurt he had 67 percent of his fantasy points from the slot tyler boyd ran the fifth most snaps from the slot last season under the new regime you know 2018 was an old regime they're not moving green into the slot nearly as often with tyler boyd already entrenched there after last year So that's what i'm telling everyone like you want boy you don't want green green's not gonna be playing in the slot and that's when it's i mean playing in the slot like you put players in there so they can win it makes it easier for them And that's why you see these veteran players sometimes move into the slot because it helps get them, you know, some more separation, gives them softer coverage to work off of. But that's, I don't see that happening with Green. So for me, I think Tyler Boyd's easy and I hope that his ADP keeps falling if people are going to continue to take Green, who at this point, like, dude, I've been down the Des Bryant trip. I've been down (laughs) the Doug Baldwin one. Like, I'm staying away from these lower leg veteran, like these injuries with with lower leg and and these veteran receivers. I'm I'm far away
0: from those. Yeah, the history of these you know, older wide receivers missing a season and then coming back. It, it's just not good. Not, not good by any stretch of the imagination. And generally, I kind of think we overrate, you know, guys working out a slot and not, you know, like Chris Goblin, for example. He's going to be great wherever he lines up. But it certainly helps the fantasy projection when half of the NFL defenses are still just trotting out a linebacker to cover whatever slot receiver lines up. And we're going to see that again with Boyd. I mean, it is kind of a crowded wide receiver room with John Ross still there, drafted T. Higgins high, high my guy Auden T. I mean, we don't exactly know what the pecking order is gonna be, but Boyd, back-to-back thousand-yard seasons, he's starting to just get that like Jarvis Landry type, you know, he's undervalued in every single draft. He's gonna beat his ADP. It might not be the sexiest thing ever. You know, I don't know that if AJ Green like gets hurt that we would even change Boyd's projection all that much, but he's in the slot. It's his role. He's got anyone's idea of a QB upgrade, as you said, enabled for Justin Jefferson. There's definitely wide receiver two upside here.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just locked and loaded. And, you know, when I look at all these receivers, it's like, like sometimes you got to get someone that's like, has some like semblance of stability. Like you can't go into your draft with like, twelve. you can't like leave a draft with like seven Will Fullers. As much (laughs) as I'd love to, as much as I could draft Will Fuller seven times, like, It's
0: not a recipe for existence. Yeah, it's it's a good point, too, about having different strategies, you know, for best ball versus redraft. Definitely higher. You know, go get that floor and redraft more so than best ball. Absolutely. All right, my wide receiver value, Mr. Terry McLaurin, my wide receiver 16 ADP, wide receiver 25 he was so good last year. There have only been nine rookie wide receivers since 2010 to average more yards per target. Kenny Stills, AJ Brown, Juju Smith Schuster, something then Anthony Armstrong, Julio Jones, OBJ, Keenan Allen, Terrence Williams, throwback, and Debo Samuel. Two busts in that list, but I think we saw enough from F1 last year to feel good about this guy moving forward. I mean, you just pull up his film, the dude's making Byron Jones, Darius Slay, like top cornerbacks in the league. Looks silly for stretches. His route running, absolutely absurd. And like the worst thing we could say about McLaurin for months months, was that, okay, he can go off with Case Keenan, but what about Haskins? He solved those concerns in the last three weeks of the year when nobody was probably watching watching, uh, Washington at that point. Four, Four catches, 57 yards, one touchdown. Next week, five catches, 130 yards, one touchdown. Finally, seven catches, 86 yards, All with Dwayne Haskins under center. No Kelvin Harmon. I didn't even care if Kelvin Harmon was there or not before, but now we really have a chance to get something crazy like 150-plus targets. You know, I understand putting guys like Juju, OBJ, DJ Moore ahead of McLaurin, but you look in these offenses, like even guys like Amari Cooper and Mike Evans, I just think there's such a difference in potential targets for McLaurin. I find myself going with the Washington wide receiver one.
1: Yeah, it sucks because I feel like I'm not down on Terry McLaurin at all, but I'm just not, like not as high as you are. And it's like annoying because I'm like looking at like my best ball shares. I'm like, man, I don't have any McLaurin. Like, why? Like, what am I doing? What am I doing wrong? And I think you too, like talking about the Haskins connection, I think that a lot of people may be like not as high on McLaurin because of Haskins and that they just think he's like total dust, which guys, I mean, he's a first round pick, like give him a like, he's like, hasn't played that many games. He literally played on our coaching staff that was like, Hey, like, we don't care about you. Like, we don't want you to develop. Like, we don't care. And I think that Haskins is one of those like quarterbacks that is worth, you know, I have him like in a dynasty league. And I think that I'm holding on because top 15 pick, like he he can't be as bad as he was last year. And the fact that, you know, in our PFF grading system, he was one of the better quarterbacks towards the end of the season in PFF grading for quarterbacks. So I think that Haskins can definitely take a step forward next season, you know, with you know, kind of going in, being the guy and being with a coaching staff that's like, hey, like we believe in you. And again, you know, I mean, they brought in Kyle Allen, but I think that was like Ron Revere's like move of like, hey, like just in case, like everything hits the floor, like (laughs) go with all reliable.
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought Haskins caught such a bad rap last year. He got thrown in like late in two games, to start against the Giants and Vikings both on the road and then he starts off his career oh great you get to go into Buffalo and start there you know have fun and this was all in an offense that you know Bill Callahan just wanted to give Adrian Peterson the ball 20 times a game and worry about the rest later so I absolutely got better as the season went on you know I am a Buckeye homer to be fair but I do think that we it is not time to give up on Dwayne Haskins yet people absolutely not all right Andrew who is your wide receiver fade
1: yeah, so I'm going to go with another. We just talked about uh, a guy going into his second year, and this is another guy who's going into his second year, and it's Darius Slayton. And I, my, my ranking of him is, is pretty brutal, I'm going to be honest. So his ADP is wide receiver 39, and I have him down. down. I got to keep scrolling. Uh, wide receiver 71, <laughs> uh, Darius Slayton. So I am just like, I'm out on Slayton basically everywhere. And it's just, I'm looking at the way that things are set up for him, and, and basically he just put up numbers when everyone else was hurt. Like four guys were hurt, you know, whether it was. You know, Evan Ingram or Sterling Shepard or Golden Tate or Saquon Barkley, basically, you know, when guys were playing, you know, he saw less than a 10% target share. When, when guys missed time, he saw greater than a 30% target share. Like the shifts in that are, are crazy to look at. And I'm looking for guys like that emerge because of like, they're more talented. And I don't, I can't like confidently say like, oh, Slayton is like this uber talented guy. I mean, the guy was a fifth round pick. Like, like I'm looking for some draft capital here of like, why this guy? Why should I believe in this player? And he's giving me a lot of like NVS vibes from last year where another fifth round pick guy and like he could be easily replaced. Like it's not like a fifth round pick is this like locked in draft capital. So that's one of the big things that I'm not high on Darius Slayton. I just think that, you know, with these muddled receiver rooms, like for us to say that, oh, well, Slayton's like the clear number one guy and it doesn't make a lot of sense. So I'd rather just take a Sterling Shepard or a Golden Tate later. And I know that people will kind of say, well, Darius Slayton, he's the one that goes deep. It's like, okay, like that means his production is gonna be like super volatile on a week to week basis. Not to mention his quarterback is super volatile and his schedule is absolutely brutal. And then you also have the fact that, okay, if he's gonna be lining up on the outside, he's gonna draw the primary coverage of the team's number one cornerback. And as a fifth round pick, like, I'm not so sure he's going to be able to deliver on all of those things.
0: It's, it's a new offense too feasibly with Jason Garrett doing his thing. And you know, he is the field stretcher there, but like Golden Tate averaged more deep ball targets per game than Slayton last year. It just, he wasn't a consistent part of the offense. He had a couple just huge weeks where he did flash. But I mean, again, like you said, we never had a single game last year with each of Tate, uh, Ingram, Shepard, Slayton, and Saquon all there with Daniel Jones. But, you know, we did have a good sample size of those guys with Daniel Jones and their targets in those games were Golden Tate at 8.4, Shepard at 8.3, Evan Ingram at 7.7, Gap. Darius Slayton, 6.1, and then Saquon at 5.7. The dude was almost the number five option in his own offense. And look, I, I really do I found myself liking the Giants and Texans wide receivers a lot just because it is so unproven. Any of those guys could feasibly ride to the top, rise to the top, and they're all being priced as wide receiver threes. But you said it, like, why is Slayton going 10, 15 picks ahead of Shepard or Tate? I don't get it.
1: Yeah. I'm like, I'm staying far. Like when I look at Slayton, it just like, it just like boom bust, like written all over him. And it just like bust is like highlighted caps, like all over the place. So um, I'm so out on Darius Slayton.
0: All right, my wide receiver fade is Mr. Cooper Cup. He is currently going wide receiver 13 ADP. I have him down at wide receiver 26, and this is why. I just think we saw way too many red flags from this Rams offense, both all of last season and particularly the second half, when they just stopped getting in their 11 personnel. I mean, this was the most three wide receiver heavy offense for the better part of 2017 and 2018, up until their, you know, week nine or 10 bye week, whenever it was. But after that, I mean, it was just inconsistent wildly inconsistent usage for Cup. I mean, he played 28% of the offensive snaps in week 14. He ended with these back-to-back 61% snap rates. I mean, it was like Russell Gage usage almost for a guy that I think we, a lot of us think, is one of the league's better wide receivers, but I don't know. I mean, I had Matt Harmon on this podcast last week to talk wide receivers, and he brought up a good point with his reception perception where, you know, he's looking at guys versus certain coverages on certain routes, and Cup has never finished above the 12th percentile in success rate versus man or press coverage and if we're taking away his three wide receiver sets, we're taking away the field stretcher that has made the intermediate and underneath areas of the field so friendly for him I'm just not convinced that Cup is going to be this, you know, just PPR machine that we've seen in years past and the Rams offense, like the biggest issue for them was their offensive line because we know Jared Goff cannot create off script you know, we saw how bad things got for stretches last year, like against the 49ers when the dude's getting like 75 passing yards on 25 attempts what did they do to address the offensive line? Absolutely nothing. All they did was add Van Jefferson, a second-round wide receiver, who he is not this one-for-one field stretcher replacement over Cooks. If anything, we should be a little worried about Jefferson taking Cup snaps for some reason. But, man, give me the clear-cut wide receiver ones, your DJ Charks, Devontae Parker, Stephon Diggs, Corlin Sutton, T.Y. Hilton, even A.J. Green, who you're not liking. I want all these guys over Cooper Cup.
1: Yeah, the thing with Cooper Cup is the system, you know, the offensive scheme, it really seems like that – McVeigh wants to run. Really helps out all the other players except Cup. Like the the reason we saw Cup flash really is because of Goff. Like Cup is definitely Goff's like go to guy. Whether it's you know in the red zone on fourth down, third down, like Goff definitely likes going to Cooper Cup in those situations. But it's the scheme that's like favors like Robert Woods. Like it gets him like wide open all the time on drag routes. Like it's the scheme that you know helped Tyler Higby you know in the two tight end sets later on down the season. Like so if McVeigh has his way it's going to be like the Cooper Cup fade show for sure. But if for some reason Goff is able to like kind of come in and be like, coach, like I got this, then then that would be the the, the way that Cooper Cup would kind of bounce back. But again, I like you have it. Robert Woods is, is higher for me.
0: Yeah, it's just like, both these guys are great wide receivers, no doubt about that. But it's like the Buccaneers' offense. Like I don't think they're going to produce two wide receiver ones again. So you got to kind of take a stance on which one it's going to be. And you just look at it last year. I mean, Robert Woods last year, 139 targets in 15 games. Cup had 134 in 16 games. And then Cup had two rush attempts. Woods had 17. I mean, it's a, enough of a volume difference on the ground for me just to give the nod, nod to Woods. So. Yes. Anti Cooper Cup podcast right here, people, at least (laughs) at least in fancy land, at least in fancy land. So, all right. Hit me with your honorable mentions.
1: Yeah. So we got a wide receiver. My honorable mention is uh, big Mike Williams. You know, I talked about Tyrod Taylor earlier on in the show, and I think that's Mike Williams is going to be the guy that he can connect with on that deep ball. You know, we saw in Buffalo, it was Tyrod Taylor with. Sammy Watkins, another Clemson alumni. So you got Mike Williams from Clemson as well. So we're hoping that connection relives itself, resurfaces in Los Angeles. And I just think that, again, I looked at, you know, another article with mobile quarterbacks and that they have farther A-dots. You know, they throw the ball more downfield because they can go off script, they can look downfield and just chuck it. And it's like, if Tyra Taylor's gonna hold the job, like he's gotta be more aggressive pushing the ball downfield. He can't be worried about, oh, I can't turn the ball over. It's like, dude, like this is probably your last chance at ever starting in the NFL, if you, if you don't like do something. So I think that Mike Williams is really being underrated. I think that everyone kind of looks at the Chargers like, oh, well, they're never going to throw like, so I don't want any of them. But Mike Williams is, you can get him in like the 10th round. He's not a guy that needs targets. We saw that last year. I mean, the guy had a thousand yards on like under 50 receptions. So he doesn't need a lot of targets and he can make big plays downfield. So Mike Williams is my value. And then my, my fade is, is going to be Julian Edelman. Man, I can't buy Julian Edelman, you know, 34 years old. His PFF receiving grade has gone down each of the past, you know, basically since 2015. It's gone down every single year. It's just, dude, like I'll never say Edelman was like a a product of of Brady necessarily, but again, dude, like they had amazing chemistry. Like even, I mean, Edelman would admit it himself and be like, yeah, dude, playing with Brady was awesome. Like, and it's just, it's just not gonna be the same. So a guy that like told it was a target hog monster with Brady Especially in the red zone, I just don't see that happening with brand new quarterback play. Even if he, you know, leads the team in targets, it just, I don't see, it's going to be the gap. I can't see it being as wide as it once was with Tom Brady under center. So again, I mean, I saw Edelman go like in a draft like the seventh round last, like last week. I was like, I was like, dude, like, no, I, I can't take him there. So there's so many other receivers I'd rather have than Edelman.
0: Yeah, Mike Williams is just like a discount Darius Slate, and I like that call. And I, I truly believe like the dumbest conversation we've ever entertained on Twitter was that like Calvin Johnson versus Julian Edelman debate in <laughs> 2017. <laughs> I, I'm still mad about that. But all right, I got Christian Kirk as my fade. I've as my wide receiver 55, his ADP is coming in, wide receiver 39. I mean, you talked about like how can they support Drake and Hopkins. I'm wondering how they're going to support Kirk throughout all this. I mean, it wouldn't be shocking if Fitz has more targets than Kirk next season. I know Kirk won that battle last year. But I mean, other than three touchdowns against Tampa's at that point in the season, awful secondary. You know, I'm not chasing this guy. I mean, I I know that he's got a lot of his fans, but I just haven't seen, you know, enough enough talent from Kirk to think that he can make the most out of 100 targets. Give me those, you know, give me the Texans or Giants wide receivers. Give me someone that at least has a chance to become their team's number one or number two pass game option. Kirk, he's going to need injuries to give us anything resembling wide receiver two production. And the guy I'm really high on, really, really high on, A.J. Brown, my wide receiver 9, ADP, wide receiver 17. Volume over talent, but there are exceptions to every rule, people. A.J. Brown just looks (laughs) like the type of stud that I do not want to leave this guy off my fantasy squad. I mean, it's just like McLaurin. There's just too much talent here, I think, for him to bust. and You know, maybe... We'll look back on this moment and say, oh, you know, it'll be a fun 85 targets for the guy. But I truly think like when you're that good and especially like the Titans, I-, I think we would if we had to predict, you know, AFC playoff teams to regress, Titans would be near the top of that list. More volume for a great player. Give me all the A.J. Brown. All right. Moving on to tight ends. And then we'll get out of here, everyone. Andrew, who is your tight end value of 2020?
1: All right, so we're going to go with Austin Hooper. So I got him ranked as tight end eight and ADP is coming in at tight end 12. And, and originally like going in, you know, after Austin Hooper signed with the Browns, I originally was like, oh man, I'm going to be like totally off Hooper. Like his ADP is going to be too high. And it really didn't trans out that way. It really kind of reversed. And, and it seems like Austin Hooper's kind of like hated a lot by a lot of people. And I, I guess I, I don't really see that from my perspective, looking at the team. You know they are coming with kevin Stefanski you know he ran a lot of two tight end sets with the minnesota vikings so again you know they paid this guy they made him the highest paid tight end in nfl his like in the nfl so it's like why would they not you know try to utilize him you know especially when baker mayfield like we talked about before you know he was absent of a tight end when he was good in 2018 he had that tight end he had that player that he could lean on um and njoku had a really good year in his, his second season so it was like why are we, you know, kind of fading Austin Hooper? I know I get he's coming from a different offense, you know, that was throwing the ball all over the field. But I mean, who is the third receiver on the Browns? Like, I mean, there's really nobody. And again, the argument will be, oh, well, it's a Kareem Hunt. So that's kind of where kind of, I'm kind of on the Austin Hooper over Kareem Hunt side. You know, Kareem Hunt was already there. Kevin Stefanski, you know, became the head coach. And one of the first moves that they make is, okay, they bring in Austin Hooper and they sign him to do this lucrative contract. Like he's clearly going to have a role on the team where, You know, Kareem Hunt, like he's the backup running back, like say what you want. But like last year, like all those, you know, he was kind of occupying the the field similar to what a tight end would do. And he was running the short to intermediate routes because the Browns had literally no one else to throw the ball to because all the tight ends were hurt. So that's one of the reasons why I like Hooper a lot. And you look at with Kevin Stefanski when he's bringing in play action, I think that's going to be huge because you look at Austin Hooper over the last three seasons since 2017 he has the most touchdowns off play action passes and mayfield through the third most touchdowns off play action in 2019 so again you have these outside rece- you have landry you have odell beckham jr you know creating space for a guy like austin hooper who i think that can deliver some of these big plays with some touchdowns i think that he could become his favorite target in the red zone and baker mayfield has been targeted at the tight end position you know his pff grade fifth highest 87.8 since 2018 so again He likes the tight end position. I just think that Hooper, especially like his price is like not expensive at all. I think that he's a guy you can play and not have to worry about, okay, maybe he's not going to break out. But again, I think that you can play him confidently and not like risk getting a zero in your lineup.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm way more fine with Hooper at that tight end. One borderline compared to like the tight end six or seven. He was kind of starting the offseason. man right. and it's a good point about you know will it be him or Kareem Hunt? Because yeah, the Browns did nothing for that number three wide receiver spot. You know, Stefanski and Minnesota was running eleven personnel, one of the league's lowest rates, if not the single lowest rate. I would feel better if they just traded Njoku because, you know, we saw last year Kyle Rudolph 48 targets, Irv Smith 47. If you can then set it down the one guy, that's going to be a hell of a fantasy friendly target. But I do, I, lo- I still like Njoku, but, you know, this is a situation where I think money talks. The recent history track record of high priced tight ends that change teams is awful. But, I mean, I only went back to 2016 there. And this, you know, we don't need to just assume. Because we have eight bad examples of something, the ninth one's going to be that way as well. I just think he's going to need to get it through touchdown efficiency, which you said. I mean, he is the red zone uh, guy. So I just think it's an offense. Not going to be super pass-heavy, but he has a chance to rack up those touchdowns.
1: Yeah, I mean, with David Njoku as well, you know, we saw this last year. It was like, it was your guy, dude, Duke Johnson. Like, Ah. it was like, hey, like, he wants to get traded. And then, you know, we didn't hear from him for a while, and then eventually got traded. So it's like, I mean, I expect Enjoku is probably going to get moved at some point. I mean, they they drafted that guy um, in the fourth round, so it's like they have a replacement tight end that they can use. And I mean, I'm not even really kind of factoring in Njoku because I just feel like he's going to like sizzle out somehow, or whether he's on another team or something. So yeah, I mean, he's. I mean, I think Enjoku is going to get traded. It's going to happen. let's smoke this fire.
0: Free Duke for sure. All right, my tight end <laughs> value is Mr. Chris Herndon. And before all you angry Herndon investors from last year turn off the podcast, let's remember how good this guy was in 2018 because here's our full list of rookie tight ends to average at least eight yards per target since 2000. Mr. Herndon, Mark Andrews, Gronk, Hunter Henry, Heath Miller, Aaron Hernandez, Noah Fant, Jordan Reed, Zach Ertz, George Kittle. All right, so unless you want to say Herndon's just going to be the worst rookie, you know, the worst <laughs> performer after having a great rookie season ever, it's he's costing you, again, I have him tight end, 14, ADP, Tight end, 21, he's free. No one is even touching him in one tight end leagues. You'd have to go to tight end premium leagues before you're even competing with someone. Even then, it's probably going to be in the double-digit rounds because nothing has really changed other than our own fantasy uh, investors' attitude towards the guy. I mean, from the athletics, Connor Hughes. To say the Jets can't wait to get Chris Herndon back in their lineup is a vast understatement. I mean, it wasn't like this dude played last season and couldn't find the field. He was suspended. He tragically pulled his hamstring, allegedly running routes on air, and he couldn't get healthy. So it's until we see Herndon go out there and not do anything, I'm, I'm going to go back to buy the guy because he's twice as cheap as last year. And let me tell you what, his ceiling is as the number one pass game option in this offense. Crowder, Perryman, Mems, like it's just the least arguably the least crowded offense of anyone and he is free i'm getting chris herndon in almost every draft i'm leaving with i don't know about you
1: dude i mean when i wrote up chris herndon for my tight end, tight end breakouts pieces over at pff basically i kind of forgot i was like oh my god like i forgot how good this guy was like that's but i think that's it's definitely like it's ptsd with some of these people because we draft we recommend the draft and It's like all right you just got to get through the four-week suspension like you'll be fine But then, like, it just was a disaster. (laughs) Like, it was an absolute disaster, a nightmare, because, like, you couldn't play him, and then, like, he finally got to play, and he played, like, two snaps, had, like, one catch, didn't do anything. So that's, and basically, like, you just kind of forget that. You got to just throw out last year, especially, like, honestly, if you want to throw out last year for a lot of Jets players, like, I don't blame you, because that year, just, like, there was so much stuff that just, you know, is not something that you can necessarily expect to happen. You know, the quarterback getting mono and everything that went down, like, a lot of those offensive metric numbers are like, look, you can't like take that and try to just like copy and paste it to next year. So I like Herndon a lot too, as like one of these guys that, you know, I'm targeting late in drafts, especially cause he goes after guys like the W. Smiths, the Mike Guseckis, yep. like he's after those guys. So even if you don't get like one of those late round tight ends who are, you know, some of the more popular options, Herndon's is still an option there as well. And I mean, and you look at who Darnold has targeted, like he's had a lot of success targeting Chris Herndon. And that's the thing I think that's not being looked at enough is just looking at the quarterback position. Like, Darnold loves Herndon. Like, he absolutely loves the guy. So, I think that makes a lot of sense. With a lot of question marks at receiver, again, you have Jameson Crowder there. But we know Jameson Crowder has like a very limited ceiling. Like, he's not going to be a guy that's going to go out and be a double digit touchdown guy. Like, we know he his role as a slot receiver. But like to be that primary option, like Chris Herndon. Like, looking at all these tight ends, like he could legit be like the number one option on his team, which there's not that many clear paths like that in the NFL, especially with Rashad Perryman and Denzel Mims really his like main competition. The only thing that I'm worried about is they did extend Ryan Griffin. So that's one thing that if they're like, Hey, you know, we gave this guy money and and then obviously like Adam Gase is there. So that's always like, (laughs) that's, that's always gotta be factored in, but it's clear that Herndon is definitely the most talented tight end on that roster. That's especially like is starved of receiver talent
0: yeah look I'm not thrilled about Adam Gase calling the plays either (laughs) and it'd be great if Griffin you know wasn't re-signed but again these would be bigger issues if he's going as the tight you know borderline tight end one he's free so go get that upside everyone seriously and I think more and more just these tight end four through ten range I'm letting someone else take them it sounds like that's your kind of strategy for your fate here
1: yeah, you can't draft these middle end tight ends. Like for me, it's I like George Kittle a lot. Just I think he could absolutely smash because mm-hmm. he's got a lot of touchdown regression coming his way, potentially, especially with no Debo Samuel for the first couple of weeks of the season. But it's like if I don't get George Kittle, like I'm going to wait till like the 10th round to draft a tight end and just take a couple of these late, late dart throw guys and then just stick with the one that eventually emerges. I think that if I pick three, I think that I can at least hit one that's going to be at least semi-decent for my fantasy
0: team. For sure. Hopefully. For sure. (laughs) All right. Sell me on fate and Jared Cook.
1: All right. So, obviously, I talked about Drew Brees. So, I got a lot of correlation. You know, I got the best ball stacks on the mind. So, everything's correlating. So, again, Jared Cook is an interesting guy to look at because he really – his efficiency has really been what kind of drove his fantasy production last year. It wasn't volume because Michael Thomas was getting all the volume in New Orleans. (laughs) so jared cook was actually one of the guys that breeze would actually look for downfield so we look at breezes a dot and how it's not great you know ranking you know near the bottom of the league but breeze when he actually targets the tight end position has actually been at the highest rates in the league you know his yards per attempt ranks second and his average depth of target ranks first so when targeting the tight end position so looking at a guy like jared cook i'm just not so sure like that he's a guy that i'm gonna have confidence that he's going to continue to be a down threat weapon for a quarterback who's arm is possibly deteriorating from arm strength. So it's I'm not like We can say that. It's a noodle. <laughs> I'm, it's okay. I'm not confident that Cook can replicate the production he had. I mean, he caught seven of his nine touchdowns from Breeze in the last half of the season, weeks 10 through 17. He has the most 20-yard plus-yard touchdown receptions for tight ends since 2018. He has six. So it's like he's all been about the big plays, and with more competition coming back now, you're going to have a healthy Alvin Kamara. He's going to score a bunch of touchdowns. You're going to have Emmanuel Sanders coming in for the first time you know giving the Saints a wide receiver two arguably for the first time in a long time so I don't know if Jared Cook is even going to be the number two option there anymore he could fall to four and now you're waiting on just observed efficiency from a tight end who's also older so I'm not even so sure how much you know burst he really has left so again he's going as the tight end 11 so and I have ranked as tight end 16 so again it's like I would rather take a stab on one of these upside guys. And I'm afraid that people fall into the trap of like, Oh, like Jared cook, like he's like established, he's like safe. It's like, I don't think he really is though in this offense. So I think that you need to like take a step back and be like, look, don't draft Jared cook as like your top, your confident, like tight end. Because last year we saw at the beginning of the season, like he was terrible. Like he couldn't do anything. So I, I'm off of Jared Cook at, at tight end eleven.
0: And they felt the need to use a third round pick on Adam Troutman. I mean, yep. arguably the most receiving ready tight end out of uh, Dayton. I'm with you, man. His best case scenario is the number three option in the offense. Give me Mike Jasicki over Jared Cook any any day. Give me a legit guy that has a chance for that number one or number two pass game role. I'm with you on fading Jared Cook, and the guy I'm fading is Hayden Hurst. He is my tight end seventeen ADP tight end nine. I was all in on Hurst when he initially got traded. He Had like an ADP in the tight end 20 range, even going down into the teens, it was fine. But now we want to project a guy that has one career game with more than three catches as a top 10 tight end in the league. It's not like, I mean, we talk about the tight end position having athletic freaks everywhere. Hurst is like the one tight end that doesn't have some spark score in the 80th percentile. He's 27 already. And when he was at South Carolina playing dudes half his age, he wasn't even scoring five touchdowns a year. So, you know, losing a battle to Mark Andrews isn't. An anything to be ashamed of but I just don't know what we have other than Austin Hooper putting up some numbers in this offense to suggest that Hurst is going to be this shoo top 10 performer I mean that's the issue here could he do it okay fine I- I'm not saying he's a, like, not a talented receiver I know he hit I think he had that long touchdown last year where he his game speed was legit so you know he's not the worst athlete by any stretch but compared to Jasicki, Johnny Smith, my guy Herndon later I'm good because as easily as he could, as easily as Hurst could slide in as that number three option in the offense, I don't think we should be shocked at all if he finishes fifth on that offense behind Ridley, Julio, Gage, and Gurley. So for me, at this point, I am selling Hurst at this ridiculous price.
1: Yeah, he's definitely coming up in price, which I I don't like. Like, it's hard to to buy him because it really is all like you're paying for the potential. And, and, and a lot of times with the tight end position, that has not been a, a winning strategy. But the thing that I, I like to point out with Hurst, and I'm probably a little bit higher on Hurst than you, so I'm obviously, you know, at the head of this hype train or what you, whatever you want to call it. But I look at the slot specifically, and Ridley and Julio Jones, you know, are the primary outside receivers. They, don't move, they only move into the slot, you know, when it's by design. They don't really play there a lot. So I was like kind of like on Russell Gage a little bit in the beginning. I was like, oh, this guy, like, he's kind of like sneaky good. But then I, then I like looked more at his like profile, I'm like, dude, like this guy's classic, like slot receiver, like special teams guy, yeah. you know, kind of catches the ball and falls down. Like not someone that I'm really through. I, I really don't think that great right, guy. I, th- I don't think Gage is really going to be like the main slot guy. I think that it's actually going to be Hayden Hurst in the slot because I think that also, the Falcons have this infatuation of like, let's we want to deploy an all first round pick like offense and like Gage is like over there being like, ah, oh, man, dude, I was in the sixth <laughs> round. Like, just like, I don't know. And like, that's why I even think like Laquan Treadwell like, like actually could see some decent playing time because he was a first round pick, but that's a side note. Yeah. But I, I do think that, you know, guys, tight ends that move in the slot get an advantage. And you look at like the top tight ends from last year, you know, guys that like Mark Andrews, Zach Ertz played a lot in the slot you know, had a lot of receptions and targets in the slot. So I think that if he gets a chance to be the main slot receiver, I think that would probably be his best way to create targets and to give him upside. But again, it's risky. Like he, he definitely is a risky pick. He definitely has a potential to bust, but I think that if he hits, I think that You're gonna be like, wow, like I got a really good tight end. And again, you mentioned he was 27, but dude, like that's that's prime tight end breakout age.
0: I guess so. I guess so. (laughs) Who cares if he's only been in the league for three years of that? But yeah, it's again, it's just more about like we have to buy him at his ceiling now. If you got him, you know, a month ago. Kudos to you, but right now, not so much. All right, now on for my honorable mentions. I am fading Darren Waller at his current price. We're seeing him go ADP, tight end five. I got him as tight end nine. Dude's a great talent. If he gets triple-digit targets again, he can do big things with it, but why else would the Raiders devote three top three-round picks and resources to get Jason Witten's corpse all the way over to Las Vegas. I mean, at this point in time, I'm just not confident that Waller is going to lead this team in targets. That's why I kind of like Henry Ruggs at his cost. But you just look at Gruden's history and, okay, he enabled Waller and Jared Cook in 2018, these great years. Before that, you go back to his Tampa Bay days and step one with the Raiders. We saw guys like Tim Brown, Joey Galloway, Keenan McCardell, just A-plus names all, all the way around. Getting legit 130 plus target workloads, so I think the days of Gruden featuring the tight end are numbered. And my tight end buy is Mr. Blake Jarwin going off the board ADP tight end 20. I have as my tight end 13. True seam stretcher. I mean, he, he's been so efficient with Dak. Over the years, only Amari Cooper and Bryce Butler have averaged more adjusted yards per attempt among all Dak Prescott targets. Look, I mean, it's a crowded offense. I get that, and I don't normally like putting, you know, I've, we've talked all podcasts about not wanting to devote too many resources to guys that could be a number four, number five option in the offense, but we're talking about a legit top three to five offense in the league, and, you know, quietly, the second most available targets out of anyone other than Atlanta, I am buying Blake Jarwin at cost. Andrew, who are your honorable mentions?
1: Yeah, you know, going back to Darren Waller again, dude, Jason Witten, man, he's going to, like, pull people's hair out with (laughs) what he's going to do. And even a guy like Foster Moreau. Foster Moreau was, like, vulturing touchdowns all over the place last year. So, again, he's got a lot of competition, way more than he had last year. So, yeah, Darren Waller is definitely not worth the price at tight end five. And Blake Jarwin, man, Dude, I've been Blake jarwin Truther since, like, 2018. Like, I I wanted him to break out so badly. And then they brought back Jason Witten, and it was just – it was miserable. So, I think that he has a chance to – he probably won't be consistent from week to week, but, like, That dude is going to see like no coverage on him whatsoever like they have so many other weapons to deal with like he's going to have weeks where he scores like three touchdowns because no one's going to be covering him you know probably against the giants because for some reason that's that's where he always blows up always yeah (laughs) always against the giants start blake jarwin dfs everywhere lock him in um so my my guys fades values same team uh fading tyler higby 100 uh, buying gerald everett 100 like Tyler Higby, I I was actually thinking about writing him up in one of the value articles for this week. And I just started out, looked up his ADP. I thought it was like around like eight or nine or something like that. It's like tight end six right now. So I just like was like, I started writing. And I was like, this is like utterly absurd, like his ADP. And it's like, you know what? I'm not going to write an article about this. I'm just going to put it on Twitter because <laughs> this is all I need to write. Like, I don't need anything else to tell you. Like, you can't draft him as tight end six. Like, the sample size is way too small for you to have the confidence that he's a locked and loaded guy and again we saw last year how great he was but again this rams offense is like could be kind of different like and everett was hurt and you just look at the splits when Everett was active in targets it's just it's not in figgy's favor at all so again i think that the gap between the two is way too big higby you know he's definitely the front runner like i wouldn't say oh just take Everett over higby but the gap of Confidence that these two guys are going at that the people are so sure that Higby's the locked and loaded guy as tight end six, it's just something I'm not. I'm not going to take that risk. Like there's no way it's like a you know 90 of the time Higby is the tight end one versus 10 percent of Everett. It's much closer than that for me. So for that reason, I'm out on Higby. I'm just take Gerald Everett as another late round dart throw tight end.
0: Some situations like and Detroit, Galday and Marvin Jones. You got the big difference, but we're so confident in Galladay just being a complete baller. We're fine targeting both. In this situation, again, it was so <laughs> close between those guys for so long. Yeah, don't let five games just completely turn you know your, your brain upside down on what to believe from the Rams. So I'm with you on those. And everyone, that is going to do it. We have covered QBs, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends, values, fades, honorable mentions. Check out PFF.com. Andrew and I conveniently both came out with Article that we didn't even plan to time these up at the same time, but both going over some more of our thoughts in general. Andrew, what else you have uh, up in store this week?
1: Yeah, I got tons of cool stuff coming out. We got some wide receiver rankings, tiers coming out, some more tight end breakout pieces and interesting piece on some potential veterans that could get traded, you know, this year from every single team. So, hey, you know, with some unknown with the college season, you know, teams may be more reliant on trying to trade for some veteran players. So again, you know, when guys get traded, opportunities open up. So I'm going to take a deep dive and looking ahead of some of these guys that, hey, you know, some opportunities could come sooner rather than later.
0: Good stuff, man. Good job today, and keep on keeping on. That was Andrew Erickson, everyone. Find him and follow him on Twitter at Andrew Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N, with an underscore at the end of that. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Ian Harditz. He is Andrew Erickson. Take care, everybody.